So how did the how did the message go? I hit record, so we're just going here. Oh yeah, yeah, it was good, man. Uh, it was good? it was really good. Were you, were you supposed to like you have a studio there that you just record all your stuff and send it to whatever church is asking for it or what? It depends on what they want. So if yeah. they want like an actual like in service feel, yeah, then I'll record it from the auditorium. Sure. If they if they want kind of a studio feel, then I'll I'll do something in our studio. Right. Nice. Cool. So we're going to have you preach at village. Uh, we're, we're working with, uh, we're working with you to figure that out. I look forward to that. Awesome, man. I can't wait. I cannot wait, man. Good. So, so are you well? So, so let's jump into this cause you're a busy man. And I just want people to hear about your book and, and be introduced to you. Okay. So most of my audience of 9 million listeners uh, won't uh, necessarily know who you are, but I got a couple questions for you because I think your, your, your story is fascinating, but um, give us like a little quick kind of, you know, portrait, little profile snapshot, who you are, where you minister, what your, what your situation is. Yeah. So uh, first and foremost, man, thank you for having me on. Of it's course. An honor, Come an on. Honor and a privilege. It's been man. too long. It has been, it mm. has been, but uh, this is for me year 17 in senior leadership, um, leading a church. And um, I got into ministry by um, the strong arm of God. It was not my choice. It was not what I wanted to do. It was want, not what I desired to do. Yeah. I want to, I want to dig into that story. Cause I think yeah. it's fascinating. Let's yeah, I, I, take us there. Take us back I, to that. I, I ran from this, this idea of church. I saw my parents, they pastored and um, they started the church that they, they planted in the early seventies. And when they started it, you know, at the time there really was no template. There really was no context to what they felt God calling them to do. And so they jumped out there and they began to, you know, teach the Bible. And, uh, you know, in the South, particularly for African-Americans, that was unheard of. At, at the time, there was only one other uh, Black guy on television, and that was Pastor Casey Price at the time. And so my parents were the second African-Americans to go on global TV teaching the Bible, line upon line, precept upon precept. Yeah, and I so love it. it was and where did you grow up? Where did you grow up against him? I, I, I grew up in a city called Creedmoor, North Carolina. North Carolina. Okay, so... It's, the outskirts of Raleigh Durham. Right. So they start this church, plant it, it blows up and to, to the point where your dad's on TV preaching. Yeah. So th this happened pretty quickly. So uh, where they were, when they started the church, um, they started with nine praying mothers and they began to teach and it quickly grew from nine women to 150 and from 150 to 400 and for, for, from 400 to 2000 and from 2000 to 4,000. And it just continued to exponentially grow and snowball. And uh, the reason it was growing was it, because they were doing something that that area had not seen before. And, mm. and I'm a firm believer. If you feed people, they'll follow you. Yeah. And they were feeding people and they were teaching people and they were showing them uh, the practical, applicable uh, revelations in the Bible. And uh, the church ended up growing uh, bigger than the population of the city that it was in. And so oh. uh, the city had a love-hate relationship with us. They loved us uh, because we bought a lot of 
uh, traffic and, and income into the city, but we also <laughs> created a lot of traffic jams and cost the city an overtime <laughs> with police officers. And so it was this interesting uh, dynamic and dichotomy. Sure. And so they, they continued to leave this church. And what ended up happening in 1997, my dad was diagnosed with stage four terminal throat cancer. And doctors gave him three weeks to live or they gave him the option of having this experimental uh, surgery. And they told him uh, that the surgery was high risk because it had not been performed uh, many times and that there was a high probability he would die on the surgeon's table. And so for him, it was either live out three weeks or take a risk and extend my life as long as I can. And so he decided to go through with this experimental surgery. And so, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in the area and really was around, not through my parents' teaching, but just through some of their friends and some of their circles of charismania. And so, you know, with that, it's all about how big is your faith? And if your faith isn't big enough, then you must not be believing God for what it is. And it was just all of these different things that really was not rooted and grounded in solid theology. And so at 12 and 13 years old, hearing those things, here I am thinking, okay, my faith isn't big enough. And because my faith isn't big enough, my dad is dying. Wow. And so if that's my shot, I don't want to serve that kind of God. Right. I, I want no parts to do with that type of God. And so I walked away from God. Mm. I walked away from anything that had anything to do with him. And, uh, you know, I was around church, I was around Jesus, but Jesus was not in me. And uh, my dad went through with this experimental surgery. They cut him from the back of one ear, opened up his neck to the back of the other ear, and they removed a tumor from his throat the size of a chipmunk. But when they did that, they had to remove a quarter of his tongue. So he was no longer able to eat or drink or mm. swallow through his mouth. He was fed through a G-tube for the remainder of his life. And I remember, man, just struggling with God, just really wrestling with God. How could you let this happen? How could this be? How is this possible? Not having a solid relationship with him myself, but really standing off of the faith of other people. Right. And uh, on my 18th birthday, man, my dad sat me down and uh, he began to share with me uh, some of the things that God had placed on his heart about the life that I was living and, and how there was more for me than what I was currently doing. And I'll be honest with you, man, I was listening uh, uh, with one ear open, the other ear closed, and it was going in this ear and out the other ear. And uh, I had no desire to hear any of that talk that he was giving me on my 18th birthday. You know, wow. I, I'm thinking about going out. I'm thinking about going to party. I'm thinking about hanging with my friends on my 18th birthday. And he sits with me for five hours, Mark. And he, wow. he talks to me in a loving and a graceful way. And he just shares with me what God desires from me. And uh, after five hours, man, he pats me on the leg. He goes upstairs to his room. And 2, 2 a.m. that next morning, my mom knocks on my door. She says, hey, I need you to help me get your dad out of bed. He's not responding. And so I rush downstairs. I go in their room. I pull him out of bed. He's already dead, man. He's already transitioned. And I remember sitting there that night after they'd taken him to the hospital, after they worked on him, they pumped his chest, they tried everything they could to revive him and, and still nothing. I remember sitting there that night and thinking to myself, man, if I had known this would be the last conversation I had with my father, I would have listened more intently. 
I would have taken more time to be in the moment. Mm. I would have done things a lot differently than the way that I did it. And that moment marked me and it, it changed me. It scarred me in the best way possible. And it really uh, was the catalyst uh, for God speaking to me and pricking my heart to start serving people and to start teaching um, you know, the gospel to as many people mm. uh, that would listen. And it changed me and uh, really set me on the trajectory uh, to serve people. And so I ended up going to college and I uh, tried to play a little basketball there. And uh, in, my, in my apartment, man, my freshman year, uh, God spoke to me and told me that I, I needed to uh, step into what he had called me into. And it scared the crap out of me. And I called my mom and I told her everything that I felt like God said. And she started laughing and I was super confused. And she said, you know, that's the same thing that God spoke to your father when he called him in the ministry. And wow. startled me so much. I left college that week, transferred to Bible College in Detroit, Michigan, and ended up finishing and getting my uh, diploma there and going back home and uh, stepping into senior leadership there. And that so, was 17 so, years ago. So, uh, yeah, so now, I mean, you run this huge church, thousands of people. Uh, are, are you still doing two spot? You're, you're in, Flor in North Carolina and Florida still? Yeah, so we we lead thirteen locations, me and my wife, and um, right now because it's awesome, of the, the better the better half of you, thousand percent. Yeah, she's way better she's than amazing. me. Way yeah. smarter. We like me. I don't know why they take us, but I yeah, know. yeah, <laughs> they, they they pity us, Mark. Yeah, they, do. they do. They look <laughs> around right. and went, "I guess I'll settle for this." <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, and so you know we because of everything that's going on with COVID and and quarantine, we sure. Uh, pipe in video to all of our other locations, depending on where they are, but yeah. still not able to gather in person. Uh, but right. normally, uh, I would I would spend the majority of my time at our broadcast location, and then pop around to our other locations to sure. speak live or or to see uh, what God is doing in the various communities there. Right. Uh, so we're primarily based out of Jacksonville, Florida. Right. Now in Florida, I, I, there is no COVID. I thought you guys just walked around like it's normal, like I, just normal life. <laughs> it's true, man. Here it is non-existent. And it's like, it, is, wow. it, is, it is the wild, wild west, man. It's, it's just crazy. It's so if I die, I die. Let's go to spring break. Oh, man. I, I talked to my family that's there in uh, the lower mainland and in uh, Langley. And yeah. we compare our, our situations and circumstances, and it is night and day. It couldn't be any different. I mean, no. what is going on? And it's absolutely crazy. It is crazy. So we, we just try to do our part, man, to stay yeah. safe, keep people yeah. that's around us. Well, you run a you run an awesome church, an awesome ministry. I want I want to go back just to, just because now you know here's this leader, you know you're a big name, you do all these things, and and uh, and yet take us back to um, what your dad kind of. I mean, you don't have to get into the details of what he said, but between your dad that night, the 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 day the day long retreat for five hours. Um, <laughs> And then, and then what the Lord spoke to you in college uh, that you called your mom about, Yeah. how have those kind of two prophetic moments come true in your life or not come true yet? 
Yeah, I, for for the conversation with my dad, the the reason that it marked me is because I wasn't really paying attention, and I, I can piece together bits and pieces every sure. now and again, and uh, recall certain things. But I, I think the silver lining in it uh, was something that he spoke to me that God had shared with him, and that was about. Um, me serving people and the call of God to serve people. And, mm. you know, I, I have that honor and that, that in leadership do so now in leadership role in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Through, through leadership and, and yep. really the assignment to pastor and okay. to teach and to walk with people in some of the toughest and darkest seasons of their life. And, uh, you know, I, I've had that honor and that privilege, uh, now for many, many years. And so I, I look back on that, that conversation and I think to myself, okay, mm. What, what were the main takeaways? What were the things that, that he really was trying to drive into me sure. um, that I should pay attention to now at this particular age in my life? And it was, um, you know, something that he told me that I remember is oftentimes youth is only understood when you're too old to enjoy it. Mm. And so where I am in my life right now, just taking opportunities to enjoy the call, taking opportunities to enjoy the assignment, taking opportunities to enjoy serving because it is an opportunity. And, and yeah. I'm a firm believer that at the end of our life, uh, we're known for one of two things. And that's the problems that we solve or the problems that we create. And I believe that in that conversation, he was trying to help me understand the need to help people connect with Jesus so that they could help have their problem solved. Yeah, that's really good. I love, I love that summary. So you get this call of God then in college and call your mom and she says, it's kind of the same thing. Was that just some vague notion that was same or was there something specific about no, it? I, mean, I, I know a bit of the story, but I want, I want people to hear what specifically yeah. was going on there. That was like, Oh crap, that's the same exact thing that your dad. Yeah, it was, it was super specific and it, it was right. kind of, you know, creepy in that it was a vision that God had taken me to while I was asleep. And I went to sleep on my bed. And when I, I thought that I woke up, I was standing in front of uh, just a sea of people. I mean, a massive room full of people. And as I was looking around, I was trying to figure out, okay, where am I? What am I doing? Why am I here? And as I'm kind of processing that, I look down at my hands and I can see that there's blood on my hands. And so at this point, I'm trying to figure out where is this blood coming from? And as I'm trying to figure that out, I hear the voice of God so clear say, as long as you run from what I've called you to do, everyone that you could have influenced, not everyone that you could reach, not everyone that you talk to, not everyone that you meet, but everyone that you could have influenced will be held to your account. And as soon as he finished say, saying that, I popped up. I was, I was creeped out of my mind. I, I, was, I was panicked. I was afraid. And so I called my mom and I told her what happened kind of in this, this, this fearful, panicked way and she started laughing and i was just super confused and she said that is the same exact thing that god spoke to your father when he was wow. called in a ministry wow. and uh you know at the time my father unbeknownst to me did kind of the same thing he had other opportunities he was doing other things he dropped them all and he pursued the call of god amazing uh, for his life amazing so how many years after your dad had the surgery uh did he pass away 
Yeah, so he passed approximately four and a half years after he had the initial surgery. Right. And uh, he had to go through rounds of chemo and radiation um, to eliminate right. all of the cancer cells and, and try to, you know, help him continue to fight um, the cancer yeah. that was in his body. And I remember you telling me uh, when we were together last few years ago um, that you, uh, it was difficult because you kind of came into this leadership position. Your mom and dad, of course, were these established leaders, communicators, and you came in and you were kind of taking over this church alongside or under your mom or over your mom. I'm not sure how the whole org chart worked, but bottom line is you kind of came in and there was tension. Like not everyone just immediately was like, Tim Timberlake, let's go. Uh, you're the man, let's follow you. Because you had different styles and approaches. Talk talk about that tension a bit. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think anytime you tell an established church that they're getting a 20-year-old leader, there's going to be pushback and friction. I mean, this church was a will. <laughs> Which is really dumb strategy, as you know now. It's like, for sure. You don't it, let a 20-year-old run the, run the youth ministry, let alone it a was, yeah. It was not what I suggest. And it, yeah. is, not, it is not what I right. recommend for any leader listening to right. us right now. Right. But, but it, was, it was almost like, Mark, going through a fire with a gasoline suit on. Yeah, you know, I'm thankful for that season of pushback. I'm thankful for that season of friction. I'm thankful for that season of tension because it developed me into the leader that I am now. But in that moment in time, you know, when you have this massive church and you have all these people and you're trying to point them and connect them to Jesus and they don't want you to, it's mm. difficult. I mean, it's challenging. It is it will work on your, your identity. It will tear down any bit of ego and pride that you have. And it will begin to build you and mold you and shape you into the leader that Jesus desires for you to be. Sure. And, and so that's what I did. I'm grateful that I had um, solid mentorship and solid leaders yeah. in my life. Um, what were... Really what were some of their specific things? Like, what was it? They just couldn't wrap their head around how young you were or were there styles and approaches to leadership that were different? Like, what were some of the the real, yeah, like, I, you know, I'm leaving because of this or whatever? Yeah, I, I think for starters, it's hard to be taught by someone that you taught and that you sure. saw grow up and saw... Yeah you know, get into trouble. And now this person is going to teach right. me something. It's really difficult for people to kind of grapple with that. I think the second thing was uh, my style was different. You know, I, I honored the legacy that my parents pioneered and I honored what they, what they built and, and the, the, the heritage yeah. and the history that they have paved before us, but I could not do what they did. And I, I did not try to do what they did. I think one of the uh, biggest disappointments to uh, our purpose and our calling is to try to make it something that God never intended for it to be in the first place. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm a firm believer that God can't bless who we pretend to be. And mm -hmm. I, I knew that at Good. 20 years old and I, I understood um, that I have to authentically and uniquely lead the way that God has equipped me to lead. And yeah. so, you know, for me, uh, it's, you know, um, deeply connected to culture. It's deeply connected to society. Uh, it's joining the conversation that everyone else is having. 
And yeah. I think one of the biggest disappointments for some churches is they're answering questions that no one is asking questions for. Right. And uh, I just tried to join the conversation that society and culture had already been having and, and add value to that through scripture. Yeah. So uh, when that's different than how most people uh, are fed, you're always going to well, have pushback. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, it's, it's a bit of a passion for me too. I mean, connecting to culture, it's funny. Uh, so we hired this guy um, a few, probably six months ago and he came in, he goes, Here, here's what I want you to do with some of your time. I want you to do these Pastor Mark reacts videos. I'm like, okay, what's that? So basically he sits me down in the studio and just shows me random stuff and I react to it. Okay. So it's like, you know, whatever. Right. And so it's this stuff. I mean, you want to talk about ego shattering. This is the stuff that people watch the most. Right. So, so forget my little, like, but I got a really good John one 14, you know, I was like, Mard. Uh, they're watching me talk about to Matthew McConaughey and, and freaking Ricky Gervais about, you know, all right, all right. So, uh, I mean, it's fascinating. It's like, this is where, and, and like you're talking, it's the tip of the spear in order to bring people into yeah. world discipleship. And that's the hope. Okay. Uh, on that note, I want to talk to you for a few minutes uh, about your, your book. You got the sweater on right now for those who can't necessarily see this, but 1440 of a book that just came out, uh, the power of 1440 talk to us about what is the premise of this book? Yeah. So it, it ties directly back to the story with my dad and mm. how I was there, but I wasn't there. Mm. And I was in the room with him. I was in proximity of him, but I still wasn't there. And I think so often Mark, we live our lives either in the disappointments of our past or in the hopes of our future. And we really don't lean into the present moment that's here right, right now. And so, you know, when we're thinking about yesterday, we're thinking about yesterday right now. When we think about tomorrow, we're thinking about tomorrow right now. Mm. And I begin to think back over that conversation and, and really kind of frame it up if I could do it all over again how would I steward that time? Yeah. And the reality is we can't get time back, but we can make necessary preparations to steward the time that we have mm. better than how we have in times past. And so when we look at a day, we normally categorize it from the standpoint of 24 hours. But when we boil it down to the minutes, God gives us 1,440 minutes every single day that we have an opportunity to live out and steward and so this, this book, The Power of 1440, is, is a journey that helps us discover how we can steward our time. We go to the bookstores, we see tons of time management books, tons right. of time management books, tons, tons of how to balance your life, how to, how to do all of these different Take things. Take me too long to read them. Yeah. And, 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 and this is the thing that dawned on me. It's, it's really hard to manage what you cannot control. Mm. You can't control time. You can't tell it to go. You can't tell it to stop. You, you can't tell it to come. You can't tell it to pause. We can't control time. So how can we manage what we cannot control? Right. But we can steward it. And yeah. so the way that we steward each yeah. minute determines how we walk into and invest into our future. And so that's what this book is about. It's, it's a journey for us to learn how we can steward our time and make the most it. out of every minute and every day. This sounds really dumb. Uh, and you've probably thought about this or heard this before. It sounds really dumb, but I never realized 
until the title of your book that there was 1440 minutes in a day. No, is that a- I, I, I had never seen it before, which is, you know, exciting for me and alarming, yeah. but we, we never identified day from the standpoint of 1440 minutes. When you think right. about that, when you think about that limited amount of minutes that we have every single day, my prayer is that we would steward them a lot better than how we have in times past. Stresses me out, Tim. Stresses me out with that fourteen forty on me. I'm like, I I saw a uh, I saw a meme or a, a picture of someone's office the other day, and there was a uh, I don't know if you've seen this. There's a big calendar behind them, or some kind of like it was just, and it was just a bunch of black dots that went across like this, and it was, and it, there was a certain, and it was um, the weeks the weeks that they have in their life and then they're all kind of dotted. And so you see like half of them are like blacked out and you're like, what the crap? Like, ah, you know, <laughs> what's going on here? The weeks, you know, and they get a dot. So 1440. So talk to me about, I mean, I was, I was looking up the stuff you talk about in this book, forgiveness, passions, rest, mistakes. You have stuff in here for people who are stressed out, anxious, whatever. So take us through how you want to kind of practically help people. Yeah. So that it's, it hits on an array of different topics, but I think um, the thing that connects all of us and the thing that connects this book and this message to people is pain. I think one of the things that we don't hear enough about um, is how we steward pain. We hear about how to steward money. We hear about how to steward relationships. We hear about how to steward time, but we don't hear really enough about how we can steward pain. And so this book comes from a place of pain and it comes from a place of allowing that pain to produce purpose. And so whether it's fear, whether it's stress, whether it's anxiety, whether it's relationships, I believe that if we utilize Uh, some of the things that we've learned through pain and we process them, then God can get purpose out of those things. I'm a firm believer that no pain is going to enter my life without it fulfilling its purpose to propel me into the things that God desires for me. Hmm. And you, you talk about um, the fact that you're a hope architect. I love that on your, on your Instagram. So how do you, in the midst of pain, how do you be an hope architect? Like, how do you continue to stay like God's got purpose for me in the midst of this pain when it can like totally derail you, especially in moments like this, where culturally we're just depressed. I I think the, um, I don't know if you heard this. I was reading Mark Sayers the other day. He talked about the idea that uh, the life expectancy in the UK actually dropped in the last three, like over the last three years, every year. What, how's that possible yeah. in 2021? So how do you like, how do you hope architect in the midst of the pain that you're talking about? Yeah. So for, for me, um, and I've been through a tremendous amount of pain in the 37 years of life that I, I have lived, um, I mean, just, you know, crazy scenarios of just pain after pain. But one of the things that has always pointed me back to Jesus is perspective. And so if we can keep our perspective in the right place, no matter what we are going through, 
we always know who we're going through it with. And so, you know, it, it, it reminds me of the story of two birds. And so you have a vulture, you have a hummingbird and the vulture always seeks out dead things. And the hummingbird always seeks out sweet nectar. Both of those birds find what they're looking for every single time, never fails. Every single time, both of those birds find what they're looking right. for. And the premise of that is we can find whatever it is that we're looking for, even when we're in pain. We can see the hand of God at work, even when we are in pain, if our perspective is right, or if our perspective is wrong, we can think God is far off, not, not paying attention, not focused on what it is that we may go, be going through, but it's a matter of perspective. And so our perspective shapes our reality. Yeah. And uh, when our perspective is in the right place, it allows us to go through moments of pain um, and still have a healthy mentality, have an encouraged spirit and understand and know that even though I'm going through, I'm going through and I won't stay there and it won't stay right. like this. And, uh, you know, for those listening, the most encouraging thing that I can tell you is if you're going through a storm, every storm runs out of rain. Mm. But the only way you can see it is if your perspective is right. Yeah, that's good. So talk about um, uh, your, your, when you deal with uh, uh, mistakes, for instance. So you talk about mistakes, you talk about forgiveness, talk about rest, you know, all these kind of big topics. But talk about, okay, I've made a massive mistake in my life What's your advice to leverage the 1440 in light of that mistake? Yeah, I, I think the first thing that you have to do, if it's a mistake with God, ask for forgiveness. Uh, and then the second thing you have to do is forgive yourself. Sometimes we hold ourselves hostage to a prison that Good. God didn't build. Yeah. And we stay in there as long as we are unforgiving uh, to ourselves. And because you, you forgive doesn't mean that you forget but as often as you remember, you forgive. And I think we have to do that with ourselves. I think we have to do that with the people that are in our lives that hurt us uh, intentionally and unintentionally, mm -hmm. uh, because the reality is forgiveness is not for them. Forgiveness is for us. They may never change, but we have to. And our perspective is key and is huge in that. Right. And so uh, perspective helps us to keep our focus. And so if we've apologized to God, if we apologize mm -hmm. to ourselves. Uh, then our, our focus is a lot healthier and uh, we can live our life running in the path and on the path yeah. that Jesus desires for us to run on. And so I wonder, sometimes I, I think we, um, we, we hold on to stuff that Jesus no longer remembers. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and in the midst of kind of cancel culture reality, even yeah. as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, there's certain moments in culture where certain Bible passages become like oh i never i never thought that one would become like controversial but you know the concept of like hey forgive 70 times 70 and this yeah. you know the grace like even if you're trying to forgive yourself in a culture that we're living in right now and of course there's some corrective good things about holding people accountable and all that that's you know some good things but um you're trying to forgive yourself but your the culture around you won't forgive you yeah, that's an interesting I, tension. It, it is. I, you know, it's so, so strange because 
if we listen to everyone else, then we begin to hold on to and carry the narrative that everyone else has created for us. And one of the things that I've learned, you know, when we read throughout the Bible, I find it so intriguing that the enemy always calls us by our sin, but he knows our name. And Jesus knows our sin, but he always calls us by our name. And I think if we practice that, if we put that into application in our life, no matter what is in our past, we have to remind ourselves we are not what we have done. And Jesus always calls us by our name and not our sin. Yeah. And thank God there wasn't TikTok when you were 17. Oh my God. You might not God. be in ministry or, <laughs> <laughs> or Twitter or whatever. Um, okay, let's dive into one more topic and then I'll uh I'll let you go because I know you you are in the midst of when you write a book. I mean, you know, I my book dropped a couple of weeks ago. You're you write it and then you got to like get people to read it. <laughs> Wait a minute. I like the writing. I don't know if I like every single radio show from here to, you know, wherever I got to be on every two seconds. But anyway, um, take, take one more topic, forgiveness, apply the stuff you talk about, uh, sort of forgiving other people now. So we talked about forgiving ourselves for mistakes we made now the forgiveness of other people who have wronged, wronged us. How, how have you processed and giving advice to people how to do that. Yeah, uh, for me, it's understanding that forgiveness is not a feeling. And so I can't wait until I feel like forgiving mm. in order to initiate the forgiveness that Jesus asked us to do. Yeah. And so when I hold on to unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment, the best way for me to describe it is it's like, uh, you know, drinking poison and wishing someone else is getting affected by it. The, the forgiveness is not for them. It is for us. And, and as right. I mentioned before, when we forgive, it is not uh, predicated on their decision to change. They may never change, mm. but you have to constantly change and you have to constantly be intentional about forgiving because nothing uh, can disable us from healing from a past wound like tearing the scab off of it through unforgiveness over and over again. Mm. And so, you know, that, that for me has been one of those things that I have to continue to practice. I have to continue to walk out every single day. I have to continue to die to self-preservation. Mm. I have to continue to lay my ego and pride on the line and say, you know what, I'm going to operate from the place of forgiveness because when I mess up, I desire forgiveness. And so mm. if God gives me that through his son, Jesus, then I need to give that to his other sons and his daughters as well. Right. It's really good. I, I love the, the fact that this whole book comes out from a place of pain. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't love that, that, that was your experience, but uh, because, you know, it's, it's a natural part of life. And I think I was listening to a psychologist today, uh, one of the most respected guys, he wrote, wrote a book on uh, uh, a few years ago on, on decision-making. And he was talking about the shift from, thinking that our job is to create happiness in people's lives and that maybe what we're actually supposed to be doing is helping people simply lessen or mitigate suffering. Yeah. And that like, even from like a public policy standpoint, like when the government's making decisions, are they making decisions to say, I'm going to take people who are kind of already flourishing and make them happy. Hmm. Or am I thinking through the general populace and going, how do I use resources, time, money, 
to actually make those who are suffering just suffer less or mitigate their pain. It's an interesting conversation, Yeah, but it's interesting for you to kind of propose the book almost not as like this, Hey, John, that's good. We want people to be joyous. We want them, you know, I have this, I have this line that I wrote in, in the problem of Jesus. Um, you know, Christianity is not about victory all the time. It's about obedience. That's it. You know, and it's like, we go victory, victory, victory. You want victory. And it's like, well, or be obedient to Jesus and get your head cut off. What are the, That's you know, it. what are the two things? So it's like, so talk about, yeah, just, just uh, as a last question that kind of, I, I just love the idea that your book has kind of come out in, in the context of pain because that's all of our lives. Yeah. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, man, with what you just said. Um, and, and to kind of, you know, tie it up, our victory comes at the speed of our obedience. But even in victory, if you if you utilize the word victory with anything, it indicates a battle. Mm. And in any battle, you're going to suffer some type of wound, some type of pain, some type of discomfort, some type of challenge. That's the only way you can be recognized as victor over anything, mm. because it's an indicator that you've been through something and that you've survived. Yeah. And so this book is for people that are struggling. It's, it's for people that are in pain. And that to me is the greatest indicator that you have not been overcome by your circumstances. So yeah. struggle is the proof that what you're going through has not overtaken you because the fact that you're still struggling with it is an indicator that you still have grips on whatever it is that's trying to take you under and there's still fight in you. That's right. So in this book, in this season, in this message, my prayer is that people are equipped with the tools and the weapons to continue to fight, to continue yeah. to struggle, to continue to wrestle and work out uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, those things that God is extracting and pulling out of them. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, you've done a great job, brother. And uh, so, so thankful for you. You're preaching, you're teaching your ministry. It's, it's crazy. Uh, I'm thankful for you, man. I'm oh man. I, you. I, you are, you are a legend and inspiration. <laughs> uh, you, you are a, a, a rare breed, man. You are a oh. Martian to see what God is doing through you and village. Oh, is absolutely breathtaking. And it's oh. not coming and you need to know that. Well, I appreciate it. And when all this COVID stuff goes away, let's let's figure out a way to hang out. Um, okay, the power of 1440.com. Jump on Amazon, buy the book. Uh, it will honestly, here's what I love. I did a, uh, a meeting with seven of our staff a month ago and I said, teach me. Let's spend three hours where I listen to your ideas about what you're learning. And it was random selection, like mm -hmm. guy who cleans stuff and like, you know, whatever. I was just like, and you know, you got other staff. They're like, why wasn't I invited? Like, <laughs> give me a break. I'm trying to, you know, and this one guy looked at me and he said, you know, um, this generation, like the young adult generation, I said, yeah, it's been years. You know, I planted village when I was 29, 11 years ago now, uh, before that, it was six years of young adult ministry. So it's a different, it's a different generation. So tell me. And he said, um, they want to kind of be told some habits. Mm. They want to be kind of told what, what to do. And I'm like, that's funny. Cause that was the opposite of my generation of young adults. It's like, you're not going to teach me what to do. Screw you, bro. And now it's like, 
people need these practical and this is what i love about what you're doing it's it's like these like ability to kind of boil this stuff down to practical kind of here's what to think about today here's how to do it today and that's kind of blowing my mind right now that this is what this generation wants and you're seeing that too because your church is blown up with this whole generation yeah man it's been pretty humbling and i, I think you are you know so kind to say those words and, and guys like me look at what God is doing through uh, the movement of village and your leadership and uh, just inspired, you know? So I, I'm grateful that we well, get opportunity to, to talk and, and have these moments where people get a chance to eavesdrop on our conversation, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very cool. And uh, you know, to, to kind of summarize the symbol of it, I think there's something to the authenticity that you bring uh, maybe that I bring a bit from our stories. Uh, you know, I think about Jesus talking about people who are forgiven a lot. Uh, you, you know, they kind of appreciate grace more and that's sure. kind of both of our stories and continues to be. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. So anyway, brother, thank you so much for your time. You thank are you. a blessing. Say hi to your wife for me. And uh, sure. I hope this book does awesome and gets into the hands of many people. Thank you, man. Do the same for me oh. and your family. Hey, thanks. Okay, bud. Have a good one.